Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Excited for today's solo episode to talk about something that, frankly, I've never experienced before, and that is... Man, I'll tell you what, I've known for a long time about the central governor theory of athletic performance, but it's something that's never really come into my life in terms of something that I've had to deal with. So people who are not familiar with the central governor theory of athletic performance, basically the idea is, and this is kind of an evolutionary um, basically an evolutionary theory or an athletic performance theory modeled in evolution um, by Professor Tim Noakes, who is somebody who... <laughs> was a very well-respected uh, researcher a couple decades ago, and uh, especially recently over the last three to five years, has really um, kind of submarined his um, his reputation. He has gone from someone who has, you know, before had put out some really interesting stuff that was kind of pushing the envelope of uh, especially of athletic performance research, and now someone who has gone way past that, and now has become pretty reckless in some of the things that he says online, and someone who. In a lot of ways, he's kind of torpedoed his own reputation. However, when it comes to the central governor theory, I think a lot of what he has talked about definitely has stood the pe- stood the test of time. And uh, plenty of endurance athletes, at least anecdotally speaking, though they might not be researchers, um, can you know believe what Tim Noakes has said. So Tim Noakes is someone who rode in college and then did a lot of ultra running and ultra endurance events later on in his life. And one of the theories that he put out, specifically this one, the central governor theory, based on evolution, is frankly that your body, specifically your brain, holds back a portion of what you could potentially put out in an athletic event with the idea of by by basically being that governor on your performance, by holding something back that would then allow you to, especially from an evolutionary perspective, to have a little bit of energy there in case, you know, the proverbial saber-toothed tiger, you know, jumps out of the bush and you're, you know, someone who is, you know, going back, you know, a long time, someone who's like doing some hunting and gathering, saber-toothed tiger jumps out of the bush and you have a little bit of extra energy to prepare you for either for battle or to kind of scamper away or do whatever you need to do to survive. So that is the idea. That's kind of where the idea is rooted in. Okay. So evolution of this is really helpful. If you're going to survive as someone who is hunting and gathering out in the Savannah, and this allows you to not fully lose sight, not lose sight, but not to fully exhaust all of your energy to have a little bit left in reserve and that governor on your engine so that you have a little bit left. So from a athletic performance model, Oftentimes, this this comes to bear in endurance events. Now, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that this is not necessarily connected to like a finishing kick, right? So you may have seen, you know, a mile race or a 5K race or a 10K race where, you know, from the top level performers to just your average everyday runner. And I've experienced this many times where you run your 5K, you feel like you're going to die. And then... In that last 100, 200, 300 meters, all of a sudden, you're putting out an effort that is faster than anything you put out so far in the race. Now, there is shades of the uh, central governor model here, but really what you're talking about is two very different energy systems. You're talking about someone who's going from a, an aerobic, I'm sorry, from a aerobic energy system, which in a 5K, 10K type thing, almost the entire race is an aerobic event, and then tapping into some of your anaerobic energy and 
most, you know, and all the things that, you know, I'm not a researcher, but basically everything that is encapsulated in that. So that is where the end, that normal finishing kick idea comes from. Now that is not, even though it feels like it's a, a sister to the um, central governor theory, it's not really that closely related. It, it is a little bit different. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, I ran the Ocean State Marathon a week ago, and it was a race that if you've listened to my podcast, specifically the For the Love of the Run podcast that I do every month with Carolyn Sue, you will know that I've kind of vacillated back and forth about whether or not I was going to do this marathon, and then ultimately if I was going to run the half marathon or run the 26.2. Ultimately, I went for the 26.2, knowing full well that when I got COVID this summer, it kind of sent me back a month in my training, and it was because the race was, um, you know, middle of October. Losing August was tough and didn't set me up for the best training, right? And I had basically the best training I've ever done for a race was Eugene Marathon in the spring. That was fantastic. And I can, if you look at my training for the Ocean State Marathon, which I just ran, compared it to my late winter and spring training for Eugene, you can't really compare the two, right? The The spring training was definitely better in terms of mileage, in terms of my strength, in terms of my speed. And, you know, even my, my time trials right before the race, you, you can see a, a difference in terms of my ability. So going into this race, I didn't have the long runs, especially that I, that I wanted to have. I My 20 mile long run, I completely bonked on fuel. I thought I had... Gosh, I was such an amateur. I thought I had all the gels that I needed for the race, for the, I mean, for this run, and I didn't. I only had one gel in my house. Oh my god, it was so embarrassing. But you know what? Just went out there and did it anyway. I did. I thought. I think I basically did about a half marathon or so at marathon effort, and then I did a few miles at uh, easy pace. I had an 18 mile run, and I had a couple of 14 and 15 mile runs. So not a bad training cycle. But I didn't kind of get to the upper echelons of long runs. So. Going into the Ocean State Marathon, I knew I was probably going to be hovering around 8.30-ish pace and then kind of see what happens. So that's exactly what I was able to do. From an execution standpoint, obviously the, the training didn't go the way I had envisioned it. And a lot of that was COVID-related and some of it was just me not being my best self uh, in terms of making sure that I was able to to really you know maximize those long runs and some of the other things. So I really take full responsibility for not being exact in the kind of shape that I had wanted to be in for that race. But when it comes to race day, you put all that stuff aside and you say, what can I do on this day? So understanding that this race is a hillier marathon. So uh, depending on your watch, it's basically between 1100 and 1200 feet of elevation gain, which, you know, it's not a crazy amount, but it's almost in that 50 to one uh, ratio, which um, you just don't see a lot of marathons that, that have that kind of hill. So there is a big hill around mile 18. I think it starts around 17 and a half and goes to about mile 18 and a half. Um, that was about a 200 foot elevation gain in that hill. And then a lot of it was rolling um, throughout the race. So I want to make sure that not only do I, not only did I want to make sure that I had my, my pace dialed in for the race, but understanding that, Hey, when you have a hillier race, it can't just be about like what pace can I handle on flat grounds. You kind of have to build in, you know, that 10 second or so buffer in terms of like, okay, like if I am going to be focusing on pace, which I didn't, I'll tell you about it in a second. And you have to just kind of make sure that, hey, this is going to be a hillier race and to accommodate that. Now, for me, I understand that in terms of my current fitness and my age, my marathon effort, for the most part, works around the 162 
to 165 heart rate. Now, I don't normally run on heart rate. I almost never do. I check it afterwards, but I never, it wasn't even a setting on my watch. I had to like, basically change the setting of my watch to put it on there. Um, and the only reason I did that is because my watch, the Coros Vertex 2, is really good at measuring wrist heart rate data. So this is the first watch I've ever had that was able to do that. So it has done a good job of that. Also, I've had the watch for a long time and I've been able to see over the course of a lot of training that marathon effort for me is in the low to mid 160s. So with this being a hilly race, I was like, you know what? I, th this isn't guesswork for me. I know where my marathon effort lies. Let's just kind of look. I want to just periodically look at heart rate. Now, not to be too dialed in, but just have a vague awareness. And I was really happy that that definitely worked out well for me. There were definitely a couple of hills that I kind of hit around 170 on the heart rate, but it didn't feel too cumbersome. And on some of the downhills, you know, obviously you're not running on heart rate in the downhills. It's more just, hey, letting gravity take you. And then on some of the flats, you know, just making sure I wasn't pushing too hard, especially in that first 13 to 15 miles. And I was able to do just that. So the point of today's episode is talk about the central governor. So let's talk about that. Okay. So the first 21 to 22 miles, I was really hitting my effort. Okay. I was, if you look it back at my, um, my grade adjusted pace for the race, I was really dialing it in to the mid eight thirties the whole time. And I felt really good. Energy systems were on point. I was fueling the whole way. Energy availability was not an issue. Now getting into the later teens, I started to notice that my hip flexors and my hamstrings were starting to get tender. Each mile, they're getting a little bit more tender, a little bit, a little bit more uh, discomfort in the hip flexors and the hamstrings. So at, at first you just kind of, you're aware of it, right? And it just kind of slowly 1% every, you know, three to five minutes we get a little, it's a little bit worse then a little bit worse, a little bit worse. Again, nothing that really impacted me. Again, making sure that I was dialing my nutrition, which I did a really good job of, and you're just aware of it. And then ultimately miles 22 to 24, it got to the point where the discomfort in my legs became a limiting factor in my running ability. So my pace ended up going from around the 830 range into the high 10s, low 11s. And again, I was still jogging for the most part. I did I did walk a slight, a steep but slight uphill uh, that went over the narrow river uh, right at the end of mile 24. Um, and But for the most part, I was, I was jogging along but I was, I was not feeling good. Okay. So it was a mass, not a massive, it was a, um, it took a lot of effort and mental energy and focus and frankly, some toughness to try to make sure that I didn't walk, to continue jogging. Right. And I tried to spread that too. I actually came up on, um, came up on some people who were walking in those miles and trying to like kind of talk them through it. Not in, in not only because I wanted to be helpful, but also like I was kind of like pumping myself up too. You know, basically trying to say to them, "Hey, twelve minute mile pace is better than sixteen mile, sixteen minute mile pace." Kind of you know, jog with me, jog with me. I'm not going fast. You got it, you got it. And again, trying to help them, but also trying to help me, trying to talk myself into it. And it was tough. Like I basically thought that that's how I was going to finish the race, right? Kind of right on that edge of walking slash jogging slow. That my legs, I just didn't prepare them the way that I wanted to. And some of that was on me. And some of it was just, um, ex you know, environmental factors that kind of just, that's what happened with, with the training. And I was kind of disappointed, but I wasn't focusing on that. I just wanted to 
keep moving, keep jogging. And I can tell you, if I had, if there was a video taken as I was coming, you know, south along miles 23 and 24 into the the, the finish area, um, it probably would have looked like I was running on hot coals. Like I just every every step was tender and oh god, oh god. And I'm really emphasizing that point for a reason because things changed. But I wasn't feeling good and I had no visions of feeling better as I went. Now, mile 24 comes. Um, going up this hill, it's pretty, it's pretty steep, especially at that point of the race. So I'm, I was walking, but I was basically, again, this wasn't a trail and ultra race, but I was power hiking. Basically, that's how I looked at it, right? I've read and listened to a lot of race key recaps from ultra runners and trail runners. And I kind of viewed it as like, okay, I'm going to power hike this hill. I'm going to you know walk as fast as I can up this hill. And it was nice. It kind of gave me a little bit of a reset. I felt like I was moving with purpose. I wasn't giving in and I felt good about it. Got to the top of the hill and immediately started jogging. Want to make sure as soon as I get to the top of that hill and it was this right hand turn onto 1A in um, in North Kingstown or South Kingstown. I'm sorry, it was uh, in Narragansett. In Rhode Island, Narragansett, Rhode Island, I should say. Took that right on 1A and now all of a sudden it's just a straight shot down to Narragansett Beach, which is where the start finish line was. Take that corner and I start jogging. And then all of a sudden I hear my buddy who's been on this show a bunch of times, Maurice Lohman, the Marathon Panda. He is standing at mile 25 with another buddy of mine, Ted Jordan. And they're at mile 25 hooting and hollering. They see me coming and it was really exciting, but it was interesting. Right around this time, maybe it was partly because they were pumping me up, but not completely because again, motivation is fleeting. It's great. But you can't, you know, it's like uh, it's like trying to um, have a bonfire where the only energy source is lighter fluid, right? It burns hot, but it burns quick, all right? You need a little bit more than just lighter fluid. And for running, it can't just be about motivation. You have to have more in the tank. So they, they're pumping me up. I was so excited, but it was interesting because right around that time, mile 24 and a half, something happened to me that has never happened before. I have suffered in many many long endurance races okay almost every marathon i've done has been a suffer fest in the last 10k and i was kind of experiencing this right it happened a little bit later it happened around mile 22 in terms of the suffer fest starting but here i was around mile 24 and a half and all of a sudden the strangest thing happened and that was my discomfort in my hip flexors and my hamstrings just generally throughout my my upper legs not not all at once, but all of a sudden, I realized all that discomfort had just kind of faded away. And it was a wild realization because, first of all, I wasn't expecting it. Second of all, this had never, ever happened to me before. Not once. So all of a sudden, I'm start, starting the downhill um, right around mile 25. And if you're, again, if your legs are in pain, downhill running is worse than uphill running. All of a sudden I'm turning it up. I'm running a little bit faster, a little bit faster and a little bit faster. And next thing I know I'm running 7:30 pace past mile 25, Maurice and Ted hooting and hollering. And I'm wondering, all right, am I gonna be able to hold this? Right. I'm still, I'm still 1.2 miles from the finish. Right. I got, I still got roughly 10 to 15 minutes left, depending on how fast I go. And Next thing I know, I'm holding it and I'm feeling, again, it's the end of a marathon. I'm not feeling fresh as a daisy, but I'm feeling strong. And it was a wild, wild experience for me because, like I mentioned in the beginning, the central governor theory is that your brain is holding this energy source back 
just for that moment when you're going to need it. Now, again, there's no saber-toothed tiger going to be chasing me in the in the middle of Narragansett, Rhode Island, as I'm finishing the Ocean State Marathon. But what did happen was I passed mile 25. So all of a sudden, the end is literally and metaphorically in sight. There's no reason to hold on to the energy anymore. And that's exactly what happened. All of a sudden, whatever was going on in my body, the physiology or the mental or both changed and I was running faster in the last 1.2 miles than I ran the entire rest of the race. That is not a finishing kick. Okay. You don't finishing kick for 10 and a half minutes. Okay. Finishing kick is one minute, maybe two minutes, maybe. Okay. This was something entirely different. It was something that was completely unexpected. And it was something that for me, I had never experienced before. Now I wasn't completely unaware of this phenomenon. Now I've, again, I've read many race recaps. I've listened to many race recaps of trail ultra runners. This is not a novel concept for any ultra runner. So if you're listening to this and you are an ultra runner for you, you're, you're probably just thinking like, yeah, man, this happened to me like a dozen times or whatever, but it had never happened to me. But Again, it brought me back to one of my favorite running books, which is um, Becoming Ultra. I think it's Becoming Ultra by Adirond Finn, who has written um, a number of books. One was um, down in Kenya about Kenyan runners. Another one was in Japan about Japanese runners. And he wrote another book about becoming an ultra runner. And this was a common theme in just about every single one of his trail, trail, and, trail and ultra races. There we go. And that is that he would get on that precipice of, I can't do this anymore. I know I've pushed hard in the past. I know I've said this in the past, but this time is different. I just can't go anymore. I have nothing left in the tank. And then invariably, the same thing happens every race where he gets within, again, like you know, literal or metaphorical, you know, um, you know, sight of the finish. And his body just releases whatever it was holding on to. And here he comes finishing strong. And he, it's funny. It's one of the underlying themes of the book is that this seemingly happened in every one of his races um, within the book. And every time he thinks that this time is not going to happen. This time is different. This is the time where the suffering has eclipsed what I've ever suffered from in the past. There's no coming back from this. And then he always comes back from it and he always finishes strong. And it's this wild current. Again, it's not the point of the book, but it's this, it's this thread that goes through all of his races and you can't miss it if you're reading it. And I, I love that book. I listened to an audiobook um, several times. It's over on Audible. And um, that's basically what happened to me. And the fun and exciting part was it had never happened to me before. And I think the reason it hadn't was I have never put myself in that position before. And by that position, I mean training enough, especially for a longer period of time. Again, my training cycle for this race wasn't ideal, but I did do a ton of training last year. I did a ton of training in the winter. I did a ton of training in the spring. And while the last three months might not have been ideal, it wasn't nothing, right? I did average about 48 miles a week over the last two months. Right? I did have a number of long runs as well. So again, it wasn't perfect, but it was enough. It was enough where the end of the race, I actually did have something in return. Not only that something, but my muscles were strong enough that it could take advantage of that energy source that was now all of a sudden pulsating through my body. And I think that's what the difference in the past with some of my other races were. You know, the Cape Cod Marathon, which was maybe... 
the race. If if Eugene wasn't the race I was most prepared for, then it was Cape Cod. The problem with that race was that I developed a knee injury in the race. So the end of the race was submarine by the fact that my knee was in, in some serious pain. I, I had a, a legitimate knee injury, which basically stopped any thought of you know having a strong finish. Okay. So I basically had to walk run towards the end and the running was just for ego. Like I was in, I was in pain. It wasn't discomfort. It was pain. Okay. My first marathon at Hartford, I was completely unprepared. So it didn't matter what was going on with the central governor. I was not ready for that race. And it showed, and it was, and it was an awful, awful experience. Last year at CIM, I think I was probably close to what I had today, but I, again, it was, um, I didn't have the, I had a really good ramp up in terms of like the last six weeks, last eight weeks of training, but the train that preceded that was a really kind of a slow build. I ran CIM because I was there um, doing media stuff, not because I was ready. And I think that the race reflected that. This was the first time I really put myself in position from a training perspective and the fact that I didn't get injured during the race where I could really hone in, not hone in, but kind of tap in, there you go, into that experience. And it wasn't because I didn't um, pace myself well. I just think it was that odd mixture of pacing myself well, but not being quite ready enough where I was strong enough to hold that pace the whole time. Okay. So, you know, pacing was, you know, the kind of thing where, you know, if I had slowed down, I still would have, I think I still would have gone through the same experience because it was just, it was a time on feet issue. I didn't have enough time on feet and training to prepare myself for that stage of the race. Okay. So it wasn't like, Oh, if I had slowed down to nine minute pace, that wouldn't have happened. It definitely would have happened. Uh, no question about it. So, uh, from I know this because I was able to manage my energy levels so well because I was running aerobically the entire time. I was able to burn fat and I wasn't burning through um, sugar too fast. And the sugar replacement that I had was, was totally fine. Anyway, it was my first experience with the central governor. It was wild. Even now, I almost didn't record this episode because it sounds kind of bizarre. It just sounds kind of like, well, you pushed hard. Maybe you maybe you had more in you the whole time and you just, you know, you just didn't push hard enough miles 22 to 24. Maybe like, you know, you were kind of a pansy and you should have just pushed hard during then too. I'm telling you, I worked hard miles 22 and 24. I slowed down, but I was working so hard to keep jogging. All right, every fiber in my being wanted to walk the entire miles 22, 24, and I didn't. I kept running except for that little hill that I walked, that I power hiked up. So it wasn't like I gave in. In fact, I was doing the opposite. I was working harder in miles 22, 24 than I had worked the entire rest of the time. All right, first 20 miles, I was on autopilot. I felt great. Okay, 22 is when I was really working hard. So it was just a unique situation and something that I knew about. Going into going into it, but you can't plan for this. But I will say I am happy with the fact that I put myself in position to capitalize on it, and that when it showed up, I didn't second guess myself. It was simply brain off, breaks off. Let's just go, and I just went for it. And I think that's where the motivation of having people on the course that knew me and were were cheering for me really helped out. Because I think if I was out there alone. It would have been easy to be like, oh, I'm feeling good, but just, you know, that's, you know, it would have been easy just to pack it in. 
right? And just say, okay, I'll jog it in. I'm feeling a little better, a little bit downhill. Let's just coast in. I think having my friends there definitely helped me out and kind of tap into what was available. And for that, I am eternally grateful. And it was a really unique experience. So I don't know when it's going to happen again. Hopefully it will. I'm looking at my 2023 race calendar now. I don't know exactly what's going to be on it, but I'm definitely going to be racing a lot more than I did in 2022. As long as I'm healthy, I'm knocking on wood right now as I say that. Uh, But that's the plan. So I guess what to take from this episode. I guess what to take from this episode is this can happen to you. When it does, take advantage of it, okay? Also, put yourself in a position to have it happen to you, okay? If you're doing ultra running or you're doing endurance races of any stripe, this is out there. And if you keep pushing yourself, you can get to it, right? And I think it's kind of similar to what you hear, you know, David Goggins talk a lot about in terms of like, hey, there's more, there is more in you than you think. I remember my dad used to say this to me all the time, when I was growing up as an athlete, that his high school football coach and his high school football team was one of the best in New England and they were undefeated and all this stuff. And his high school football coach, who was absolutely a tyrant, used to always tell them, my dad took this took this with him for the rest of his life and would repeat it to me all the time as a kid, was there is more in you than you think. You can do more than you think you can. And that was one of those hallmark phrases that was kind of coursing through our house as I was growing up and, you know, you've anyone who's been, you know, who's read David Goggins book or watched his videos and things like that. You've heard him say something similar. The fact of the matter is no matter what language you use, no matter how fierce you are, when you say it, there's people who are in endurance races all the time, no matter their pace, who will tell you this exact same thing that you can do more than you think you can just keep pushing. And I think that's what happened to me today. And I think that's why so many people go out there and try to have that, like, don't DNF kind of mindset, right? Like, don't have a do not finish, right? And I think the one there's a lot of caveats there. One of them is if you're injured, if you have a legitimate injury, you shouldn't, you know, pack, you know, save it for another day, man. You don't want that to, like, get worse and worse and worse. And all of a sudden, you're out for, you know, 18 months because you have a whole cavalcade of injuries. Um, you know, I think, you know, again, there's nothing, there's definitely reasons to DNF for sure. But I think that for some people who really are strong proponents of do not DNF, it's because they've experienced the kind of thing where they wanted to give in, they didn't, and then they had this burst of energy or they had some sort of revitalization that was a very powerful experience for them. And after the fact, they're so glad that they kept pushing because they had that experience and they almost stopped, but they didn't stop. And then they had that, or maybe there are times when they did stop and look back now and they're like, Oh my God, why did I stop? I should have kept pushing. Who knows what was still in me. I stopped just as it was getting interesting. So I'm not going to tell people when and how or if to have a DNF, but I will say this. Things became their most interesting for me when I was at my lowest in this race. And it was wild, right? I mean, my my revitalization happened within a quarter mile of me walking up a hill. I would have never, ever, ever guessed that when I was power hiking that hill, that I was a quarter mile away from starting my fastest segment of the race. I would have never, ever guessed that, but that is exactly what happened. So, I hope you are having a great day. I hope your run is going well. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead. Thank you so much for listening and happy running.